Section 64 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibreVox recording. All LibreVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibreVox.org. Recording by Gabby Cowan. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter 64. If she refuses, let her beware. Standing in the solitary splendor of her room, Doris looked round her with despairing eyes. Was it possible that this sin, of which she had thought so little, could be the means of dragging her down from the brilliant height on which she stood? What were those words haunting her? Be sure your sin will find you out. Was it possible that her brilliant life, her triumph and career, her happiness should all be ended by this secret coming to life? Would it be of any use throwing herself on his mercy and asking him to keep the horrible story to himself? Bah! She hated him so that she would not ask a favor from him, not to save twenty lives. The only thing for her to do was to go on baffling him, to treat him not with unkindness, but with such calm indifference that he would find it impossible to break down the barrier, to avoid conversation with him, and to marry early as soon as possible. Once married, she could easily persuade her husband to take her abroad, she would keep out of England a year or two, and then Lord Vivian would have forgotten his fancy. There is one thing I must do the next time I see him, said the unhappy girl to herself. I must tell him, in some way or other, that my name is Doris. He's sure to find it out. I had better tell him. She went to rest in her luxurious chamber, perhaps one of the most luxurious in London, and in the whole of that vast city there was not a heart more restless or more sad than hers. Lady Doris met Lord Vivian next at a flower show at Chiswick. It pleased their fair ladies of fashion to congregate there. The Duchess of Downsbury, the Countess of Linley and Lady Doris had driven together. It was a brilliant fete. The sky overhead was blue and cloudless. The golden sun was shining. The air was filled with the songs of countless birds, and each laden with the fragrant odor of a thousand flowers. The charm of sweetest music was not wanting. From under the shade of the trees came the clear, bright sounds. It was like fairyland. The earl had ridden down. Early was prevented from going. It was there that, for the second time, she met the man who was fast becoming her mortal foe. There was a long, shady avenue of trees with beautiful chestnuts in full bloom, the air seemed alive and warm with their fragrance. The Duchess and her daughter had gone to look at some exquisite specimens 
of white heat lady studleigh walked slowly down the chestnut grove she heard footsteps behind her and thinking it was the duchess she did not turn then the voice that she hated most in the world sounded in her ears good morning lady studleigh i esteem myself very fortunate in meeting you here again he looked narrowly into her face to see if there was the faintest trace of confusion or fear it was calm and bright as the morning itself her eyes shone like two stars her lips were all smiles good morning she replied laughingly i shall have my ideal of fairyland after this lord vivian what will it be he asked a flower show it is really very beautiful i cannot tell you how much i enjoy it perhaps novelty adds to the charm he said the most beautiful flowers i have ever seen are at downsbury castle you have been to downsbury castle lady studleigh yes she replied with the frankest unconcern i was there last year i thought the flowers very beautiful i once saw a flower he said that i would defy all creation to equal did you for my part i think them all beautiful alike have you seen the japonicas here no i have only just arrived to himself he added despairingly i must be wrong she could not be so frankly unconcerned besides how could the girl i took to florence with me be lord studleigh's daughter did you like downsbury castle he asked again yes but i cannot say that i was ecstatically happy there why not he asked you ought to be happy everywhere she laughed a low musical laugh i do not think she said that i was a great favorite with her grace with the duchess why not for many reasons she did not like the color of my hair because it is brighter than lady linley's she did not like my name she said it had the flavor of common poetry about it your name if i am not presumptuous what is it thoris she replied and she raised her eyes to his with a look of most angelic innocence he was bewildered doris he repeated i knew a doris once the one so like you doris how strange again the low sweet laugh that maddened him i assure you she continued that i am like the duchess i dislike the name exceedingly he was looking at her in a maze of perplexity she was so like it must be his dora the name too it could not be a coincidence yet if she were the girl he had betrayed it was not natural that she could refrain from showing some little emotion some fear 
some surprise. She did not appear to notice that there was anything strange in his silence or his fixed regard. I have a theory of my own about names, she continued, and I think it the most cruel thing in the world to give a child either an ungainly or an unusual one. If I had had a sensible name, I should not have been full of caprice as I am now. He laughed, still wondering. Could it be his Dora, the girl he had learned to love with such a fierce mad love, the girl to recover whom he would have cheerfully laid down his wealth? He could not have believed it possible if any other man had told him such a story. He would have said it could not be, that it must be clear at once whether she were the girl or not. Yet he was puzzled. If a kingdom had been offered to him at that moment to say whether this was the girl he had loved or not, he could not have told. Still, he would try her, and try her until some incautions worth, some half-author exclamation, some sudden look of fear would betray her. If none of these things happened, he would take further steps, go down to Brankenside, where he had first met her, and see what he could find out there. Then, as he listened to her, his faith was shaken again. Surely, if she dreaded recognition, she could be less natural. She would seek in some measure to disguise her voice, her laugh. But no one could be more frank or natural. Then a new idea came to him. If she were really Dora, as sooner or later he must discover, then he would compel her to marry him by threats. If she were not, he would win her love and marry her. Looking at her exquisite face, the proud eyes, all the mad fierce love that he had felt for his lost Dora came over him. Then he was startled to find the laughing eyes looking at him with some curiosity. I have heard of daydreams, Lord Vivian, she said. Now I have seen a daydreamer. We have been through this chestnut grove twice, and you have not spoken. You have been building castles in the air. I have been building castles of which I have dared to make you the queen, he replied. I should like to be the queen of something more substantial than an air castle, she replied laughingly. You do not know, he said, that being with you, Lady Studley, is at once the highest happiness and the greatest misery. I ought to be flattered at producing such a variety of emotion, she replied with a laugh. You would be serious. You would pity me if you knew all, he said. Shall I pity you without knowing anything? she replied. No, but, Lady Studley, you are so pretty, so exactly like someone I, I loved and lost. You are the very counterpart of her, her true likeness. I have never seen anything so marvelous. 
How did you lose her? she asked. Did she die? No. To me it was almost worse than that. She, this lovely girl whom I so dearly loved, was beneath me in a station, yet I worshipped her. She affected to love me, whether she did or not, heaven only knows. But just as I had made up my mind to marry her, because I loved her so dearly, I could not live without her, she disappeared, went away out of my life, and I have not seen her since. What a strange story, she replied indifferently, and how strange that you should tell it to me, Lord Vivian. Because, he cried, with a sudden passion, you are so much like her, do you not see? You are so much like her that I could look in your face and cry out, Dora, Dora, have you forgotten me? She laughed again. Could you? How strange! I should feel very much surprised if you did. You are so like her. When I look at you, my heart seems to leave me. Her violet eyes, with their proud light, looked into his calmly. I did not think the men of the present day knew much about love, she said. But you seem to have loved her. Loved her? But I forget myself, Lady Studley. You might as well try to imagine what the heat and thunder of battle are like from seeing them painted on canvas as guess how I loved her from hearing me use the word love. You should find her and tell her all this, she said. And from the half-tired expression that for one moment crossed the beautiful face, he knew she was growing politely wearied of the theme. I am searching for her, he said, his lips growing white and hot as he spoke. I am looking for her. There are times when I believe that I have found her. That is well, she replied. No, it is hardly well. When I am sure that I have discovered her, I shall ask her to marry me, and if she refuses, let her beware, let her beware. The words came from him with a hiss. Her sunny laughter smote him like the edge of a sharp word. How dramatic, Lord Vivian! I shall begin to think you are rehearsing for a tragedy. He looked confused. If she be not Dora, he thought, what will she think of me? Then he continued, I ought to apologize, Lady Studley. I cannot help it. You are so much like her. I loved her so dearly that, do you see, I would lose my life rather than my hope of winning her for my wife. But how can you make her your wife, Lord Vivian? She asked, wonderingly. If she had loved you and had been willing to marry you, she would not have run away, would she? I have never understood it. There was a mystery in her disappearance that I never phantom. But I will phantom it. I will find her, 
and make her my wife did she run away from all her friends too she asked he turned to look at her and they glanced for one half minute steadily at each other if i have asked an intrusive question she said with a smile it was your fault for telling me remember i did not ask for your confidence you gave it to me as i would give you the whole world if i had it he replied passionately because i am so much like someone else she replied smilingly i ought to be grateful to you if ever harm or evil comes to me said lord vivian it will be through her i am not master of myself when i think of her it maddens me i believe if i met her found her and she refused to be my wife i should should what she asked as he hesitated i should kill her he said fiercely how dreadful you are quite a tragedy hero lord vivian she laughed as she spoke and shrugged her shoulders suppose this lady of whom you speak should be like you and say the same thing that she should rather kill you than marry you what then why then we should fight it out to the bitter end here is the duchess said lady studley calmly mind lord vivianne i do not think you have done the wisest thing in entrusting a stranger like myself with your secrets however your confidence in me shall not be misplaced i will keep them then the duchess and lady linleigh joined them he remained with them affecting to talk to them but secretly engaged in watching lady doris but it was all in vain there was no trace of thought of care on her face she talked and laughed gaily as though he had not spoken a word the only thing was that in her manner to him he detected a gentle pity that she had not shown before i must be mistaken he said to himself eyesight hearing memory all must be wrong all must have failed me but she could not possibly be playing a part she cannot be my lost dora no woman could be so utterly indifferent i must be mistaken but i will find out End of chapter 64 Recorded by Gabby Cowan